Hey, it's the People's Show. It's Dan Richo and Josh Elliott Wolf. We got Costa and Eddie Gregory with us today as we bring you some chatter around the sports world for the next two and a half hours. We'll have an overrated, underrated coming after six o'clock. You'll tune in for that. We'll play some Puck Doku in a little bit less than an hour's time. Also, Chris Gear will join us, former AGM of the Vancouver Canucks, as uh, we discuss some things that are going on with the Canucks as they continue to negotiate a new deal for one Elias Pedersen, or at least we believe they are negotiating, potentially negotiating a new deal for Elias Pedersen. It comes off the heels. I mean, this conversation comes off the heels of Sebastian Ajo signing eight years, $78 million extension with the Carolina Hurricanes. 9.75 per season. It's a little over a million bucks higher than his previous AAV, which he signed five years on the offer sheet with the Montreal Canadiens. Carolina easily matched. I still remember the conversation as soon as the offer sheet was signed. Like, okay, great for Carolina because Ajo is going to be signed at a nice number for the next five years. And now, because of the flat cap, five years later, Sebastian Ajo isn't getting a massive raise, and he just signed up for eight more years with the Carolina Hurricanes. And we'll get to why this is going to impact Elias Pettersson's negotiation with the Canucks, which could be happening right now. He could sign an extension tomorrow if they agreed upon it. But what do you make of Sebastian Ajo signing this deal at $78 million, Josh? Did it seem high? Did it seem low to you? Uh, I, that's for me, that's kind of where I saw it ending up from the start. Whenever we've heard about Ajo's extension, it kind of seemed like it would be in and around 10 million just because look, I think we all know he's, he's a great player, but he hasn't really had the production from, from a point standpoint that you would want from a guy that would be making over 10 million per season. Yep. Uh, he's right around a point per game and, and he's solid defensively too. Fits really well in Carolina. I I think nine point seven five is is pretty fair, but that's definitely the the low comparable for Elias Pettersson. He's had thirty seven goals and thirty six goals the last two years. You know he's uh, thirty eight goals in nineteen twenty, and that was a year where you know the season was cut short, obviously, as we remember. So he was definitely going to crest forty goals that year. He is. I don't know if, uh, you know, he is the new Sasha Barkov where he's like the most underrated player in the league or something like that. But it feels as though Sebastian Ajo is one of those guys. Yeah, for sure. And and the other part is, like, last year, Svechnikov was out for an extended period of yeah. time. I don't know if he's had the line mates to put up that many points yet. Well, the benefit of uh, being on a good quality hockey team like Carolina that, uh, you know, doesn't make too many mistakes and is happy to win games 3-2 all the time. You know, your star players aren't necessarily going to score as much in a system like Rod Brindamore employs in Carolina. And that will inherently keep a lot of your players' salaries down compared to what they are around the league. Elias Patterson is near a point a game for his entire career. Sebastian Ajo, 468 points in 520. So a, a shade under where Elias Pettersson is when it comes to points per game. He's got 218 goals in 520 games. That is not a bad haul at all for 
Aho. When you think of Elias Pettersson, it's 136 goals in 325 games. So very similar rate statistics if you are going to grade it on that scale. However, as you mentioned, everybody seems to understand Aho's deal is going to be a shade lower than Elias Pettersson. Yeah, and the the other part as well that we haven't mentioned is the the state tax in Carolina isn't it's very I low. really I write I, I really hate that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean like <laughs> it, it's part of it. That's why Tampa's gotten gotten all their guys I, at lower than they should be. I don't know. But that being said, like get yourself a better accountant, okay? Figure it out. Yeah. Right? It shouldn't be that hard. Sure. Like, it plays a factor, but honestly, you can find ways around it. People have been finding ways around taxes for all for all time. Definitely. You but make $10 million a year, get yourself a good account and figure it out. <laughs> but I still think guys that are going to play in, in places with higher – that tax you more yeah. are going to use it in negotiations. They're going to be like, well, if I'm coming to your team, i got to get paid more because I'm going to get taxed more, even if they know how to get around it. Yeah. And – Every single Canadian team pays a Canadian tax. I yeah. get it. And and it's going to be the same for Pedersen. But also, like he's just definitively in mind a better player than Sebastian Ajo and, and has more upside than Sebastian Ajo. So if we were to look at it and say Sebastian Ajo makes $78 million, ergo Elias Pedersen should make 85 on an eight-year deal, 88 on an eight-year deal. How much of a comparable is this for Elias Pettersson? And if we're all in agreement that it is lower, the question is how much lower? Is that Pettersson now having to settle for 10.5? Or can he still get the $11 million that Sat and I have been speculating about on Canuck Central for a while? To me, like to me, this doesn't really... I don't think either side looks at the Aho contract and they're like, oh yeah, that that changes things, you know? Yeah. Um, but I still think you look at it and you're like, is he a million and a half better per season than Aho? So that would put him right around eleven point two five per season, so around ninety million. Yeah. Per- Pedersen is two years younger. Yep. You he- and one of the years would be an RFA year. Yep. Whereas Aho is all UFA? All UFA years. He's already had the 100-point season. Now Aho can sit there and say, well, I was on pace for a 100-point season. All this, Yeah, sure, great. <laughs> Does it, yeah. You didn't get to 100 points, you, you didn't get to it. 100 points. Yeah. Um, so I, I get it. And if anything, to me, this probably hurts the Canucks – negotiation with Elias Pettersson at least in terms of getting it done this summer for eight years when I think about Elias Pettersson and I think about his contract negotiation the one thing I can't help myself from getting around is why sign for eight years right now and I to be quite honest I feel the same for Sebastian Ajo I feel the same like I I get the sentiment for a lot of players. There is, to me, okay, the upside of signing your full eight-year term right now is pretty simple. You put the money in the bank. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's it, right? 
you get the 90 million if you're Elias Patterson, thereabouts, and you just say, you know what? I'll take the safety security and I'm good. I'm good for the next eight years. I don't have to worry about it. And 90 million is probably good for my family, me, the next generation, next generation after that. We've got generational wealth. Generational wealth with $90 million in the bank. Sure. But you can have more. Yeah. <laughs> you could always have more. But it's so hard to. So let, like, let's say I'm like, Dan, I could pay you $50 million for five years right now to be a really good radio host. Yes. And then in five years, we can renegotiate. And yes. if you're still as good, we'll give you eight years and, and $90 million. Or. I'll give you ninety million for eight years right now. Like it's hard to say no to ninety million when it's put in front of you. It is difficult to say no to that kind of money. But if you're Pedersen, you've already banked over twenty million dollars, so you should feel comfortable in being, <laughs> you know, that you've already made your bank. You've made the bag, and if you want to do whatever you can to truly maximize your earnings as a professional athlete. Instead of signing eight years right now in a system where the cap has been flat for the last five years, why not sign? Like if you were to just sign two four-year deals back to back, so still eight years, you're probably looking at, like, I don't think you get a, a huge discount on a four-year deal. Like he's probably still signing at 10 million per. Austin Matthews has already laid out this blueprint for players. I'm just not sure why anybody, well, literally nobody outside of Toronto and Vladislav Gavrikov have figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most random thing ever that Gavrikov did it. But if you're Elias Pettersson and you say to yourself, I could sign four years at, let's say, $40 million. And then in four years' time, the cap is conservative, conservatively, over 90 million, maybe even 95 million. The percentage of the cap at what your number is supposed to be, and you're still 28 years old and an unrestricted free agent in a system that isn't hamstrung, that isn't choked down by six years of being flat on the cap. Now you're all of a sudden looking at, oh, I could sign another four-year deal or I could sign an eight-year deal now that sets me up for the rest of my life. And I could sign 14, 15, 16 million dollars depending on what that percentage of the cap would be, and all of a sudden I've increased my earning potential by a significant amount. That's the way I would look at it if I was a player. This whole idea that NHL players get are more injury prone than other sports. Ask yourself how many star players in their prime have essentially had to hang it up, have lost out on significant earnings because they had a career-threatening injury. There really isn't a long list. We're talking about Eric Lindros when it comes to star players. How many other guys beyond that? You know, Brian Berard, I guess, is one you could say was looking like a star defenseman, and then he had that big eye injury. There's just not a ton of examples. Pavel Bure had the bad knees, cut his career short. Still got the bag. Yeah, but could have made more. Yeah, could have made more. He played well into his 30s. Uh, Still got that, you know, $10 million contract when he wore the number nine with the New York Rangers, right? Late on into his career. Yeah. There's just not a ton of examples where guys 
end up being injured. I, I think the idea of needing the security is not as big as some people make it out to be. It might not be needing the security, but it might be wanting the security. Right. And, and like as much as the idea of what you're saying, like take a four or five year deal, get yourself more money. I think some players are bold and, and would consider that like an Austin Matthews. But then I think the vast majority of NHL players. Well, that's extent, the history of it. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are cowards <laughs> to, to an extent. Yeah. And I say that lightheartedly, but it's like, it's, it's difficult because when you look at the NBA, for example, they mm-hmm. have a max contract length. You can really only get four or five years and you see how much they get paid. But they know that they're going to get this big chunk of change, even on that three or four year deal, that's going to set them up generationally. Yeah. Whereas in hockey, like, hey, you take the four or five year deal, you're going to get, in Pedersen's case, 40 to 50 million. That's still life changing, generational to an extent money. But there's also 90 million you could take, and you know you're going to get it. Yeah. You know that as, as much as you say, hey, like, Injuries to star players in their primes don't really happen. What if you're the example in the future of a guy that it did happen to? Yeah. You don't want to be that guy. No, you don't want to be that guy, pal. Um, You could be in a situation like uh, John Klingberg where you turned down $64 million from the Dallas Stars. That was the example I was going to bring up, but also that was just like, ah, oh, I'm bad now, <laughs> you know? And that, that happens to a lot of players. Oh, now I'm screwed. I'm stuck on Anaheim, the worst defensive team in hockey. This is great. This really didn't play out well for me. Could John Klingberg fire his agent for having that bad of advice for him? He already did. Yeah, he already did. I mean, uh, sorry, sue his agent for having for giving oh. him such bad advice. No. I know he did fire him. Like that, that, it falls on you at some point. The richest contract in NHL history, signed by Alexander Ovechkin in 2008. <laughs> um, back when you could sign contracts for didn't matter what kind of term you could sign for any length of time that you wanted until Ilya Kovalchuk did that whole dance with the devils. And yeah, that's when Gary Bettman was like, Nope, can't do this anymore. Maybe this is a bad idea. <laughs> uh, Alex Ovechkin, $124 million in 2008 signed a 13 year deal. Average annual value of nine, five, three, eight, Four six two, <laughs> such a random number. How did they land on that? <laughs> um, that's the richest contract in NHL history. Sidney Crosby is still on his mega deal, twelve years, in twenty thirteen. Signed at eight point seven million per one hundred four million and four hundred thousand dollars. He could have gotten more. He just loves. He 8. just 7. loves anything eighty seven. Yeah. He could have gotten way more. Now, Crosby, I get it because that was before they had won their second and third cups in Pittsburgh. It was in the midst of him having some of the concussion problems. So I get it. For him, I get it. Ovi, I mean, Ovi didn't really get shortchanged much at all. <laughs> oh, it's like, oh, you're giving me $124 million. Yeah, um, I'll take that. But even him, if he didn't sign for 13 years, he's probably getting more earning potential out of it. It's wild when you think about it. But in the NBA, 
And I know wildly different pay scales, wildly different salary cap situations, and of course, much smaller rosters. Players can play 40 minutes, and when they do that and they are good, you know, they're going to get huge bank. But when the NBA went to shorter term contracts, it ended up working out brilliantly for the players because. Now, all of a sudden, you come into the league at 22, okay, you're on your rookie deal, then you sign another contract when you're 25, 26, and you sign another contract when you're 30, and you get another contract when you're 33 or 34. It's wonderful. (laughs) You know, and so you keep getting contracts, whereas in the NHL, a lot of these star players, they're getting their first contract on their entry-level deal, which is an incredible value for teams. Then they sign their second deal. Maybe it's a bridge. Maybe they go eight years. If you go that eight-year term off of your second contract, like you're really signing away the prime years of your career at a percentage that's going to be much lower than where the cap is by the end of that contract. The other thing about the NBA as well is that there's less team control yes. like what, from when you get drafted. There's also no compensation for offer sheeting a yeah. restricted free agent. There's a lot about the NBA when it comes to how their contracts are structured and and what limits they have that I think if the NHL adopted, that would be, we talk about bringing casual fans into hockey. That's how you bring them in. Yeah. Because for a long time, I've been like, man, no fan is ever pumped about signing a free agent because you know that they're going to be overpaid. You know, they're already near the end of their prime. Yeah. And so for a long time, there's just been, there's just been no reason to be excited about free agency if if you're a fan. But if we looked at shorter term deals like we see in the in the NBA and had a limit at maybe it's five years, I think more people, for example, let's let's bring it to JT Miller. Like I think way more people would be on board with JT Miller at this price for a max of five years as opposed to Seven. what he got. Yep. Cause then he's only signed to age thirty five rather than age thirty seven which is really the, the years of the contract that you're extremely worried about. Mm-hmm. Marcus and Gibson's, how much does Pedersen's wrist play a part in him betting on himself? If I was him, I'd take the bag now, but I'm a fan who wants him in Vancouver. It's a good point. Look, he's had a couple of injuries. It certainly can play a factor. From what I can tell, I would say personal opinion on this, Right now, it's more likely than not Pedersen pushes, and his camp, Pedersen pushes for a shorter term than the full eight years. That's my read of the situation as we sit here on July 26th. I just also, like, I think even if they push for a short-term deal, there's going to be a compromise of some sorts. Yep. And if you're, like, if you're meeting in the middle at six, why not just go eight? And, and like, get that extra extra guaranteed money. Well, I think it's not just – and, hey, if you're a star player, you can always pull the I want out card at any point and really force a team's hand. But I think there is some hesitation when star players see what happened with Jack Eichel, when star players see – how the early years of McDavid's mega extension with the Edmonton Oilers started to play out where, oh crap, I just signed this eight-year deal and this team stinks. (laughs) 
I think if you're a player, it's not just the earning potential of it. And look, Pedersen, Pedersen wants to win as much as anybody, right? He has that in his veins. He has that in his mentality. Win at all costs. So I do think there would be an element of maintaining some level of control on your career and also keeping some level of of pressure on management to make sure that they're steering the ship in the right direction. I just always feel like for players, the level of control that they, they tend to opt to is, is a no movement clause. They're like, if you're if I ask to right. get moved, yep. I want to choose where I'm going, which is like, it's just fair. But I just, until I see multiple players go through with signing three to five year deals to really maximize their career earnings, maximize what team they're trying to trying to pick and and trying to win with. I'm just going to assume that every player, whether it's Elias Pettersson, Sebastian Ajo, whoever, regardless of what team they're on, are going to opt for the eight year deal if they're if they think they're getting fairly compensated. So if you look at Pedersen on an eight-year deal, I think it's – honestly, I still think it's over $11 million on the average annual value. Oh, yeah. If it were to be an eight-year deal, let's say between 88 and $92 million. I think it could go all the way up to what David Pasternak signed for with the Boston Bruins. $92 million, 11 and a quarter on the average annual value. If it's four or five years, I don't think there's a big haircut there. I think he's still getting 10 maybe 10 and a half. One of the things that is going to play a big factor in this, it is less. Pedersen's waiting for Austin Matthews. You know, we talked about Herbert yesterday and with Justin Herbert, it's, or sorry, with Justin Herbert signed his mega deal, $262 million. Joe Burrow is still left unsigned, but Joe Burrow just sat there and waited. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, Lamar Jackson's got a sign. Justin Herbert's got a sign. All these other guys that are worse than me, they all have to sign. And then once they're done, I'm going to get the most out of any of those players. Now, if you're Elias Patterson, Ajo isn't a good comp for you. No, but the Canucks are going to be like, this is a good comp for you. Yes, and that's where the negotiation comes in. But if you're Elias Patterson and you wait for Austin Matthews to sign his contract – five years at 13 million per 13 and a half million per. I think that's something you at least would like to see in order to have a comp of what a five year contract to a megastar looks like. What if he doesn't sign for five years? What if he signs for eight years in Toronto? Well, then that, then this whole argument is out the window, but from everything we've been able to gather and every insider in the industry, which most of them are all in Toronto, they say it's going to be four or five years for Austin Matthews with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's the, like the one guy in the NHL that has that NBA mentality and is actually stuck to it. Yeah, but I, I think the thing with Austin Matthews is we we can argue in Vancouver that, hey, maybe Pedersen brings more to the table, but I think around Look, the Look, Pedersen's not on that level. Yeah, yeah. But he's not far off of it either. But, so let's say he signs for five years at $13 million. Yeah. Like, is that going to change what Pedersen would get on five years like does that bump it up to 11 11 and a half for five years like I don't think so I, I still think it's at 10 and if it's eight years I still think it's around 
the total money around ninety million. What I think matters about it is less about the number and more about well, he's not getting shortchanged even though it's a shorter term contract. Right. But I also think he wouldn't get shortchanged like you can view it as him not getting shortchanged because the Maple Leafs are ready to win right now. Right. And they know they need him to win right now. And to an extent, it's the same in Vancouver where they're like, hey, we're, tr- we're trying to win. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as successful. And Pedersen's like, I know I know you need me. But I I think there's, there's still even more leverage for Matthews in Toronto than there is for Pedersen in Vancouver. NHL players, star players in this league, haven't used the leverage that they truly – have with their squads in their contract negotiations because they're cowards it's a fair point Sebastian Ajo you know sort of is the blueprint of what we've seen many NHL players do I think there are some myself included that believe Elias Pettersson might be willing to do more of a short-term contract and see if he can maximize his earning potential and maximize his leverage with the Vancouver Canucks much like Austin Matthews has with the Maple Leafs. We'll see how it plays out. We'll continue this conversation. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Coming up, we'll get into the NFL. Aaron Rodgers is taking a $35 million pay cut. Wants to give the Jets every chance he can to win. Is Aaron Rodgers getting a New York New York level glow up right now? We'll get to that and maybe Puck Doku as well. It is the People Show on Sportsnet 650. That's the People Show, hour number two of the program. We come to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Appreciate all of you getting in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox for our Puckdoku play. We also got a ton of texts on Aliens. People are all in. Uh, real aliens probably look like the ones from Mars Attacks. Yes. But we'll never know until we know, you know? That's also what I thought. <laughs> um, okay. We'll get more into your uh, alien texts a little bit later on. The truth is out there, according to the X-Files. It's uh, Wait, no. Should stop doing this. Dan Riccio and Josh Elliott Wolf. Let's bring in our next guest, former AGM of the Vancouver Canucks. It is Chris Gear. Thanks for this, Chris. How are you? Hey guys, I'm uh, doing well. Thanks for having me. And if uh, if you hear any swearing, I'm just in the car battling traffic, so it's not here <laughs> to you. It's the traffic. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we we know the uh, Vancouver roads well, so it wouldn't be uh, too. Uh, wouldn't be too uncommon to have a situation like that play out, but uh, yeah. be safe on the yeah. roads, of course. Um, so, Sebastian Ajo signs a eight-year, seventy-eight million dollar contract, and my my thing with with these eight-year deals, Chris, is especially with star players, they always end up feeling very team friendly by the end of it. How much do players push back on 
going the full eight-year term, or do they just prefer the security of the situation? You know, I think it, it depends, but I think what we've seen over the last several years is a tendency for players to want that security and to want those eight years. I mean, the contracts are guaranteed, unlike, you know, the NFL and some other sports where we're, by the way, seeing some crazy numbers. Uh, but, you know, when you have an eight-year contract that's guaranteed and you may have an injury in the first year and you're, you're still going to get paid all eight, I think that security in some cases is just too good to pass up. So could the players make a little more by, by taking shorter deals? Uh, maybe in the long run, but, you know, you're risking a lot and basing that on staying injury-free and also keeping your production at the levels they are now. So if I'm a player, an eight-year deal uh, sounds pretty good. So you mentioned it. A lot of it is just because you get the guaranteed money of the eight-year deal. But as, as salaries continue to rise and maybe you make more money than you would on a bridge deal, are do you think players might be more willing to entertain these four- or five-year contracts in the future when it comes to someone – whether it be in Elias Pettersson or Austin Matthews? Yeah, I think if the if the cap starts to grow at a more exponential rate, I mean, we've seen a flat cap here for five years or so, so there hasn't really been that expectation of players that if they wait, they're going to get a, a bigger slice or a bigger percentage of, of the money that's out there. So, uh, you know, the, the expectation is that the cap will start to go up significantly, and I think when that happens... Uh, the, the mentality maybe will adjust and, and players will take shorter term deals and bet on themselves and, and thinking that they're going to be a part of that cap increase that happens. Uh, and I think even though people expect it to happen over the next eight years, they're probably, they haven't adjusted their mindset that way yet. And so maybe that was, you know, in the case of Ajo, who's 26, almost 27, you know, that takes him to his mid thirties. He's probably thinking, you know, I'll probably make more this way than, than if I wait. So, it, you know, some of those guys that signed immediately out of their ELC, if they're signing an eight-year deal, they might be the ones who would want to wait uh, or do a do a bridge and, and see where the cap goes. But I think with the, the guys in their mid-20s, I don't know why you'd, you'd necessarily bank on getting better in your 30s, right? Yeah, it can always uh, maybe work against you uh, in, in some cases. But right. um, you know, when, when I think about it, it when comparing Pedersen and Ajo, like their statistical profiles aren't all that different. Um, it's it's really this year that maybe puts Pedersen a notch above where Ajo currently signed at. Uh, how much does that play into the negotiation uh, when it comes to you know, looking at the different comparables and I'm sure, you know, Pedersen's camp may try to find a better comparable than where Ajo is at 975 for them and maybe look at Pasternak or wait till Matthew signs and use that to their advantage. Um, how, how does it work when you get into the nitty gritty of negotiations? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the player is always going to try and reach for comparables that that make more, whether they're appropriate as a player comparable or not, uh, they're going to try to find a way to, to mold their argument to, to fit that player. So, you know, in the case of Pasternak or, or Austin Matthews, I mean, these are guys that I think have already eclipsed the 60 goal mark, both of them, if not, they're, they're both really close. And that's a big difference to, you know, a player who 
hasn't yet eclipsed 40. Uh, I think, you know, PD was, what was he, 38 this past year maybe or 37. So, you know, a, a good total and one that compares very favorably with, with Ajo. But I don't think the numbers that, you know, Pasta and, uh, and Matthews on his existing contract or his new one are going to be achievable for Elias. It's just unless, unless nothing happens this offseason and uh, PD comes in and scores 50 or 55, and, and then, you know, you're going to be looking at an entitlement to, to more. But, you know, at this point, I think Ajo is a good comparable. Um, Goal-wise, they're, they're, you know, roughly the same. Points per game, they're close. You, you typically look at the platform year and then you look at the career, what's called career to platform. And so platform year is, is the year prior to you signing. And, you know, PD is going to exceed or did exceed Ajo's point totals this year by, I don't know, 30 points, let's say. So there, there's, there's going to be a bump for sure. He's also a year younger. So I, I think if you just take the two players straight up, uh, there, there will be a need for the Canucks to, to come in higher than, than Ajo's number. But I don't think it's as significant as people think. I think they do profile as, as similar players with you know, defensive, defensive awareness in their play. Uh, as I said, similar number of goals. And, and you look at Carolina, and you know, they're a more balanced team. So although I haven't looked at the numbers, I would, I would hazard a guess to say that Ajo plays fewer minutes because they don't need him to play as many minutes. So that, that might be a factor that the Canucks can use to say, you know, look, our guys are, are closer than you might otherwise see just on looking at the stats alone. We hear a lot about guys taking uh, maybe a discount to stay in a good situation or, or stay on a good team. And, and maybe that's happened with Ajo in, in Carolina. Is there a number that maybe makes up the difference for let's say Pedersen signing a, a similar deal in Vancouver where the team hasn't had as much success what's the what's the price difference when trying to sign a long-term uh, a young player long-term while you're on a good team compared to a bad team yeah I don't know if there's a magic number I think it depends on a number of things and and one of those is just you know, how tight the team is to the cap and, and what they project their their roster to be over the coming years and whether, you know, adding that extra incentive to the player will cause a ripple effect that, that makes them less competitive. Because obviously the, the player wants to balance getting as much money as they can with still seeing a path for the team to be more competitive during his his window there. So, I think every player will look at it differently. And, you know, at the end of the day, it probably means the Canucks need to get a little closer to Petey's number than their number if they want to get this done this offseason, uh, just so that he doesn't, you know, bet on himself scoring 50-plus next year and, and bringing that number up. But, yeah, I, I think there's a number of factors that go into it, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's a – you know, it's 500K or a million or any specific number that that you'd look at. And when you, uh, I think on your time with, with Pedersen, you were part of the front office, obviously, when, when he was drafted and went through his, his last contract negotiation. Um, his mentality is, as, as a player, is it all about winning uh, when it comes to Elias Pedersen? Um, what was your feel on, on who he was as a player and, and how he viewed his career and where he wanted it to go? 
Um, I guess two things I'd say about that is, you know, the, the discussions that, that I ever had were with his representatives. So, right. you know, and he's a quiet guy to begin with. So, you know, I, I think he's a, he's a pretty intense guy and you do get the sense that he, he is all about winning, but you know, I, I don't know that I could say based on my interactions that I could make that assessment, you know, that that's, that's why these guys have agents so that, you know, they can have those discussions and, and represent the player and, you know, maybe they put a spin on it. Like the guy, you know, won't play for less than X or he's out of town, but maybe deep down the player is telling the agent, do everything you can so that I can stay. You just don't know the agent, the agent's job is to maybe make representations that aren't quite accurate, right? Just to to negotiate the best number. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it can, it can play a bit of a different factor. Um, you know, at the time it was, a bridge deal and instead of going the full eight-year term on that second contract for Elias Pettersson it's funny how how it's worked out because of the flat cap these last couple of years you know it's actually you know I, I feel as though um, you know the, the number hasn't really changed all that much on an eight-year term for Elias Pettersson from uh, when that last deal was negotiated to where it might end up right now because of that flat cap it's everything about this league right now chris is has been so impacted by the flat salary cap that uh it sort of changed the way we think about star players i mean there's just so much less money in the system and to think sebastian ajo five years ago signed for like a, a million two less on the average annual value than he did today is is pretty wild isn't it it is, and I think you're exactly right. Uh, you know, without without getting into the numbers that were being presented, um, you know, two and a half years ago, I, I think you're right to say that there hasn't been a lot of difference between, you know, the comparables that were being used or, or similar numbers that were being used back then uh, to to where they are now. So, yeah, it's um, it's amazing, really, that that I guess COVID took had that much of an impact on the game and the game's revenues. Uh, but it's, it's coming back. I mean, I think, I think this past year was extraordinary for the league revenue wise. So I think, you know, they, they've been able to recover the escrow amount sooner than they thought. And, and I think over the next period, you'll see NHL salaries probably jump pretty exponentially. Um, you know, but the, you look at, uh, this this week we've seen Jalen Brown in the NBA, we've mm-hmm. seen Herbert in the NFL, and then Mbappe, and and the numbers in other sports are just bananas. So I think uh, Vancouver ownership is probably pretty happy they own an NHL team and not one of those other leagues. Yeah, there there might be a few NHL players wondering if uh, the Saudi might uh, start a, a, a <laughs> hockey league, you know, and uh, all of a sudden raise their salaries exponentially. Uh, Chris, we always appreciate the time. All the best fighting through traffic today. You bet. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, there is Chris Gear at Van Gearman on Twitter or X, whatever it is. And uh, sports business executive and legal consultant was the AGM with the Vancouver Canucks um, just a couple of years ago and negotiated that second contract for Elias Pettersson. Uh, you know, I remember it quite uh, clearly how. Well, there was a bit of a angry reaction from some that wanted to see Pedersen at the time sign an eight-year contract. Now, 
you know, I don't think it was this uh, great uh, foresight, uh, potentially, that had it play out the way that it has. There's some luck involved that Pedersen signs the bridge deal. The cap has been flat. So essentially, the number that Pedersen may have been asking for on his second contract, which was, I'm led to believe, around $10 million, is going to be very similar to the contract that he's negotiating right now with the Vancouver Canucks. And instead of getting him for eight years, the organization could have him for 11 years, all told, if it, uh, if it does play out that way. Now, it might be 10.5, potentially on the high end, 11. But, you know, we're talking about that really working out for the Canucks. The problem is they didn't do anything in these last three years to really, uh, two years, to, to maximize Pedersen being on a lower number. No, and, and the other part about when it was signed is that it was just kind of expected based on where the Canucks were at cap-wise, right? Yes. And so there was just also, even if you would sign him for eight years, I don't know if there was the confidence, at least in the Benning regime especially, that you were going to be able to capitalize on it. Uh, and that was especially Well, he was true. coming off a tough year, right? Yeah. It was and the then, North Division year. But that still would have been the best time to sign him to yeah. an eight-year deal, right? Because you could have gone into those negotiations and been like, hey, we don't know who you are yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's somewhere around eight and a half, nine yeah. over eight years. And we see how important those contracts are for other teams around the NHL. We see what the New Jersey Devils are able to build with someone like Jack Hughes on the contract he's on. And it, it's... It's a missed opportunity, but also it's it was just the situation they were kind of stuck in at the time. I just don't know if there was an appetite for Pedersen on Pedersen's camp to sign for you know that long at eight and a half nine. Yeah, you know, that, they knew they were fair. coming off a bad year. Yeah, and that's right? fair. But this is a player that's extremely confident in himself, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't rule out the idea that he might sign for four or five years here. It's Look, there's a lot of factors that could play into it. But right now, an eight-year deal is probably around $88, 90, $90 You know, eleven two five. as Chris mentioned, you know, if you're going to compare yourself to David Pasternak, where's your 60-goal season? Yeah. <laughs> you know, where's That's your playoff same success? Same with, like, we bring up Austin Matthews as a guy who's yet to sign, but he's also had a 60-goal season. So that's going to work for the Canucks, Right. Like, if, if Pedersen wants an eight-year deal, or even a four-year deal, five-year deal, whatever it may be, the number probably winds up between 10 and $11 million on the total, on the average annual value, and the total value of the contract is probably going to be between 85 and $90 million. But I do think he's going to get $11 million. I think it's going to end up being 88. I think probably around there. I, I know we talk about Pasternak and how Pedersen doesn't have a 60-goal season. But Pedersen also plays center, mm-hmm. is better defensively, plays in more situations. I just, for me, like, I, I would be very surprised if it's less than 11. Yeah. And I, I would, I like, if I had to predict it right now, I'm saying it's $90 million for eight years. So exactly the Pasternak <laughs> contract. Uh, the Pasternak contract is uh, would be a pretty good one. Um, to for Pedersen to match. It's it's the biggest thing that the Canucks have to figure out now. Of course, you know, getting some salary cap relief is still a potential uh, potentiality. Is that a word? 
sure. potentiality award. Yeah, I just made it award. Um, finding ca- salary cap space, extra ca- salary cap space is still a massive part of this offseason. But the other big part is Pedersen's next contract. And I don't – it could happen where the Ajo deal spurs the negotiations forward to some level and we see something happen in the not-so-distant future. But I still think it's more likely that we get a Pedersen deal closer to training camp. I'd be surprised if we go into the season – or get to next summer even, with Pedersen still as a restricted free agent. Not because the Canucks would be worried about him signing as an offer sheet with somebody else, but more, I think the team definitely wants that security of having their franchise center locked in. What I think is holding up the process is Pedersen's camp is sort of letting time play out. If you have time, use it, and they have time to see where their best number may lie. So that's why that is probably going to drag on just a little bit longer. My my thing with that, so do you think, and Chris kind of talked about this a little bit, do you think if Pedersen had a 50-55 goal season next year, yep. how much would his number rise, if at all, from let's say 11.25? It would rise significantly. To like, you might be 12? looking in the twelve million dollar range, because you also have to remember the cap's going to be up to maybe eight eighty-eight and a half million dollars next year. Yeah, and they'll just look at the percentage of the cap. And exactly. Be like, hey, we want, we would like more of that, please. <laughs> so, like when uh, we talked about Ovechkin's contract earlier, his mega deal that was one hundred twenty-four million dollars—that's the most expensive contract in NHL history. Um. At the time, it was just under 19% of the cap. The maximum value you can sign against the cap is 20%. Only one player has done it in NHL history. It's Brad Richards. Uh, How'd that work out for him? Not great. Not well. (laughs) Not great. But very rare that players go into that stratosphere. But percentage of the cap is always more important than what the actual number looks like. And that's why, you know, when, when we think about Patrice Bergeron's contract, right? You remember his $6 million contract that he had signed? Mm-hmm. It seemed like he was on it forever. Because yeah. it was like, oh, man, this is like, what an incredible steal, Patrice Bergeron at this number. When Bergeron signed that contract, he was dealing with concussion issues. He was a 50-point player in the league at the time. And for him to sign a $6 million contract at the time at a percentage of the cap that would be equal to 8 or $9 million in today's game was pretty significant. It's just that it aged incredibly well, which was shocking because here's a guy playing into his mid-30s and is better than he ever was in his entire career. So that's what made that contract an incredible value. It wasn't It's very rare that a team signs a player to a massively friendly, undervalue contract. It's more that they age well. Mm -hmm. You can can look at a a couple of examples. I think Jack Hughes is already there on his $8 million deal, and the other one would be Nathan McKinnon on the contract that just expired. Yeah, but the thing with both of those, too, is that it was the same situation where both guys were drafted First overall, yeah. had these high expectations, slow sputter, starts to sputtered the career. for a few yeah. years, and then the teams knew what they had in them and capitalized on it. 
and for Pedersen, like that that moment's gone. We yeah. know we know what Pedersen is. Um, so for you to get that kind of contract, and this is like a horrible worst case scenario, but he would have to get injured this year and have it be something where you're like, this could impact your career. So we ne- need that number to be lower mm-hmm. if they're going to give him that that amount of term. It's uh, Dan Richo and Josh Elliott Wolf. When we come back, it's overrated, underrated time. If you have a thought, you want us to debate what is overrated or underrated, you can send in a text. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We all have already have a ton of topics to get to. Probably be some more Elias Pettersson talk because why not? It is Vancouver after all. And uh, more aliens as well. Aliens! Um, yes, it's a big, big, big deal today. The aliens. It's coming up next on Sports at 650.